0: We're jumping into 2017, and, and we know, we've talked about that God has certain places He's leading us, uh, certain things he, he wants to accomplish in us and through us, callings that He has on our life for 2017, and some of those maybe He's revealed to you. It's the season of goals and, 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 and resolutions and that sort of thing, and maybe God has revealed some of that to you and said, look, I want to work this area, I want to do these things in you. At the same time... Uh, it, there are places that god wants to take you and things he wants to do in us that we're not going to discover until we're uh a few miles into this year maybe maybe a couple of months in and and god begins to say this is where we're going this is what i'm trying to do with you so it, getting ready for that <clears throat> what we're doing with this series is we're asking not what do i need to start doing in in order to be where God wants me to be. It's a good discussion. There may be some things you need to start doing, some habits that you need to form or form again in your life. That's just not what we're talking about. We're talking about what are some things that I need to stop doing in order to embrace, step into all that God's trying to do in my life, in order to to become what God's trying to help me become in 2017. What are those things that I need to get out of my life? And We started last week. With the topic of regret, and we just admitted that for a lot of us, decisions in the past, actions in the past have a way of kind of hanging over our head, that sense of condemnation and and guilt, and that, that regret will keep me from where God wants me to go this year. And we said there's a place for repentance, and we talked about the difference between repentance and regret but this, this lingering sense of guilt is, is not helping me become who God's trying to help me become. This week, another topic. Still, a topic that we need to take out of our suitcase as we travel through uh, 2017, and, and for some of us, it's... It's an item we have to continually take out of our suitcase, like it always wants to get in. No matter where we're going, no matter where we're traveling, what the destination is, this one always wants to hop along for the ride for some of us, and it's, it's the issue of worry. And part of the problem with worry is that it just becomes so comfortable for us. It, it's, it almost seems natural that that we would worry it's like that outfit that you take on vacation or somebody in your family takes and they wear it all week long like it's the same shirt same pair of shorts same pair of jogging pants like you know I'm living in this for the next 7 days every day it's just so comfortable worry can be that way it can just be that natural tendency No matter where we're going or what we're doing, that we just put on. It's the mindset that we carry around. But here's the truth. Just to say it clearly. The only way to keep worry in our life, constantly in our mind, is to deny what Jesus said and directly disobey what Jesus said. I mean, if we can just be honest... The only way to live in a spirit of worry and anxiety is to directly disobey what Jesus said. And I'm not so much going to give you like 10 ways to stop worrying today. I'm just going to tell you what Jesus said about it. And so that as you walk through 2017, you can just be reminded of how clear Jesus was because Jesus was very clear about this topic. Like He didn't leave any room for guessing on how he felt about this specific topic. He was very, very clear about worry and anxiety and its place in our mind and in our heart and in our lives. We're going to study uh, in Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. It's the third book of the New Testament, the second big section of the Bible It's one of the biographies of Jesus' life. There are four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell us all about what Jesus did and said and how he interacted with people. This is one of those telling the story of Jesus and just kind of to help you understand how his comments came about, the context that they're in. In chapter 11, Jesus is having dinner with a religious leader, and Jesus often had conflict with the religious leaders, this particular group. In particular. And so he's, he's having a conversation and he's bringing up some, some pretty heavy thoughts and ideas and kind of helping them to understand where they're wrong. And apparently they decide to take it outside. If you, if you look at uh, chapter 11 verse 53, Jesus and the religious leaders step outside and then the conversation gets more heated. Like the religious leaders really begin to go after Jesus outside so much so that it attracts a lot of attention. And people begin walking up and hanging out, and not just like a few people, not just like the neighbors. Uh, Luke twelve, uh, chapter twelve, verse one says, "The crowd grew to many thousands of people. Many thousands of people are walking up on this conversation. They see Jesus. They want to hear what Jesus is talking about. As a matter of fact, there's so many people that verse one says they're trampling each other. All right, so this is huge crowd of people that have come to hear Jesus, and at one point. Jesus turns to his disciples, and, and, and Jesus says to them, and I'm summarizing, he says, guys, there are going to be times when the moment's really heated like this. Like they're, you're going to face adversity. Like The moment's going to get big sometimes. There are going to be people that come against you. There are going to be people that aren't on your side, and, and, and you're going to have to confront them, and you're going to have to speak to them. and Don't, don't get afraid of that. I don't back down because God's kingdom is with you. The God of the universe is with you in that moment. He knows what's going on, He knows everything about the situation. This is one of those times when when Jesus even says, Look, God knows the hairs on your head. And he's, He's had to do a lot of subtraction with me over the last couple of years, but He knows, like He knows everything about you, the details of your life. In that moment, it's big, there's pressure. Don't be afraid. God's God's with you. And somebody in the crowd, as Jesus is giving this talk to his disciples, somebody in the crowd wants to ask Jesus a question. This is chapter 12, verse 13. Teacher, speaking to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Just out of the blue, Jesus is having this huge, big-picture conversation. Kingdom of God, God's powerful. It's gonna be some tough moments. People are gonna come against you. You stand strong. God's gonna tell you what to say. Jesus, like, can you get my money back? Like, my, my brother's got some of my money, and can you can you give me my money back? And it's this odd juxtaposition of Jesus teaching this huge, eternal truth, and somebody wanting their money back. And I'm not saying that's not important. What this sets up, as Jesus begins to segue into his discussion of worry, this tells us that at the heart of worry, which is where Jesus is going to go with this, at the heart of worry is our obsession with lesser things. At the heart of anxiety is my focus on things that aren't going to last and aren't going to matter in the end. At the heart of worry is me seeing little picture when God's trying to work big picture. This moment when the Son of God is in front of him, right—the the person that everybody says, this is the Messiah. He's healed people. He's performed miracles. He's walked on water. This is the guy. And you get a question, and your question is, can you get my money back from my brother? At the heart of our anxiety, at the heart of our worry, at the heart of our fear even in this life, Is our obsession with lesser things. And once we put our hope in lesser things, once we try to get fulfillment and satisfaction out of lesser things, we're going to worry. Because lesser things are going to eventually disappoint us. I mean, it's probably good to worry if your hope is in lesser things because ultimately lesser things are going to let you down. So Jesus says to this guy, man, look, I didn't come to be the judge over your probate, man. I'm not here to figure out your inheritance. That's not what I'm about. And then he pivots back to the crowd. And he basically says, you need to be careful when this is the kind of thing that you're obsessing over. You need to be really careful when this is what you're so worried about. About He goes into a familiar story about a rich man who had barns and he built bigger barns. He had so much wealth and then he died and none of it mattered. Jesus was saying, look, be careful. Be careful when your world and your worry and your obsession and your focus is on things that just don't last. That's going to be a problem. Now... This is the point when he turns back to his disciples and he's kind of amplifying that message. He's kind of debriefing. It's like, okay, I don't want you guys to miss this. And this is where we're going to camp out. Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. There are some things in the Bible that are, open to interpretation, like you get two people together and they kind of see it a little differently. There's, there's some parts of the Bible when the translation of a word is not crystal clear. It's not a lot of those, but there's some of those that theologians, they've been debating for hundreds of years. Well, is it this or is it that or did that come first or that come first or did he mean this or did he mean There's a few of those in the Bible where there's this debate that's been going on for hundreds of years. This is not one of them. Jesus leaves absolutely no question, no room for argument about about what he meant. He said very clearly, do not worry about your life, any of it. Any of it. Anything related to your life, anything that impacts your life, anything that comes into your life, any little tributary from way over there that kind of intersects your life at some point, any part of your life big picture beginning to end everything in the middle don't worry about it anxiety is never the godly approach to anything in your life so jesus takes kind of this 30,000 foot view of life and says the big picture the whole thing don't worry and then he gets into the details what you will eat or about your body what you will wear For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Big picture, your life, everything it encompasses, don't worry about that. Details of your life, food, what you're going to wear, all those little things that you think about every single day, don't worry about them. Anything in between the big and the small, anything in there, do not worry about your life, any of it. Paul, we studied some of his writings last week. Paul writes a lot of the New Testament. In Philippians, he writes, Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. And just for me personally, if you're a worrier, you're you're probably with me. Just for me personally, I hate the way those phrases are so all-encompassing. I hate that there's not an out somewhere. I hate that there's not a unless... It has to do with this. Then worry's good, right? I wish there was some wiggle room. Like, do not worry except in these cases, because I maybe you're not like me, but I, I always think that my cases are unique, right? I, I always think that well, if Jesus really understood, maybe I should explain to him what's actually happening, and he would change his mind on this. I always think that my particular circumstances are unique to this worry clause. And not just mine, there's some of you. There's some folks that attend our church that, that honestly, if it were up to me, I know your situation and I would go, yeah, that's the exception. Except Jesus didn't make any exceptions. Paul didn't make any exceptions. Do not worry about your life, any of it, ever. Now, Jesus gives an example from nature at this point, and you can read it for yourself. He talks about birds. Look at the birds, and they don't worry. Jesus is the only one that knows that, right? We didn't know that. Jesus says they don't worry. They fly around, they eat, they, they, they don't spend a whole lot of time being anxious, they spend no time being anxious, they're not worried. And God cares about them. Like, none of them fall that God didn't know about. Like, God knows everything about them. And then He says, you're more valuable than birds. I mean, if God has this care for the details of birds, don't don't you think God cares about you? To add to that argument, Jesus gives maybe the most logical argument he ever gives about any topic in all of his teaching. Jesus doesn't always go directly to the rational, logical argument. Now, all of his arguments are logical and rational and and that sort of thing, but but Jesus doesn't always specifically give the logical explanation. He often gives a metaphor, right, like birds, trees, the farmer... Sometimes he gives this big, huge metaphor, and then he walks away, and the whole crowd's going, I don't get it. I I, I don't know what you're talking about. Or he gives the spiritual answer. Lays the spiritual answer, drops the mic, walks off stage, and everybody's left to kind of deal with. He doesn't always go straight to logical, rational explanation, except here. Here's what Jesus says in verse 25. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Let's just talk practically. Let's just talk rationally. Who of you, by being really good worriers, could produce something tangible? Some measure, any any small measurement of something tangible. it's like saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to lock you in a room for three days, and it's just going to be you and worry. Like, I want you to worry for three straight, to give it your best worry. Don't kind of halfway worry. I want you all out worry. Gold medal worry here. I want you to be all in, and I want you to worry for three straight days, and I'm going to open the door, and let's see what you got. Because you got nothing. You got Nothing the niv translates it as who could add a single hour just the smallest of measure who could add a single hour to their life and and admittedly a, a, an hour can sometimes be a long time right some of you thinking that right now right as hours are a long time right I, I know i get it sometimes an hour can be a long time but if you think mathematically if you think objectively about how long an hour is There's 24 of them in a day. There's 8,760 of them in a year. So if you worried enough and produced an extra hour this year, you've added one 8,760th to your year. That's it. If you live to be 40 and you add a year by worrying, you've added one 350,400th of your life, is what you've added. You live to be 75, and you add a year by worrying. You've added one 657 thousandths to your life. That's it. And you can't do that. You can't even accomplish that much. That's what Jesus says in verse 26. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Like, Since you can't accomplish anything, Since since nothing happens when you worry, why are you doing it? How does it benefit you? And the answer is, it doesn't benefit you. Just logically, Jesus dives right in and questions the heart of our worry. Doesn't do anything. And, and, And maybe the reason Jesus is so logical on this one, Jesus is so rational about this worry issue is because we're so irrational about our worries we're so irrational like the smallest of things cause us to worry and, and we convince ourselves this is helping this is helping me and Jesus very clearly says no it's not and if you're a worrier you hate this argument because worry feels like you're doing something it's not, but it feels like I'm accomplishing something. Or, or maybe you're one of those worriers that are worried that if you don't worry, it will happen. And if you do worry enough, then you can prevent it from happening. It's like punishing yourself on the front end so that the bad thing doesn't happen on the, bad, uh, on the back end. And Jesus would say, it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't solve anything. It, it doesn't move anything forward. From there, Jesus goes back to nature. Jesus says logically, it doesn't work. Let me give you another example flowers, they don't worry, they're not anxious, they're not afraid. God takes care of them. Don't you think God will take care of you? Don't you think God will care for you when He cares for, his, for the nature that He created? So Jesus has gone metaphor, birds and flowers. Jesus has gone logical. You can't add a single hour to your life. And then Jesus dives in spiritual. Because at the end of his flower comment, he just makes this comment, you of little faith. We're done with metaphor. We're done with logic. At the heart of all of this is the spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem is when you and I worry, it's a very clear signal that we just don't trust God. It's a very clear signal that I'm not trusting that God can handle this. I'm not trusting that God is going to work this out for good. I'm not trusting that God's going to get here in time. I'm not trusting that God is going to make this work the way it needs to work. Worry is just a clear signal that I don't trust God with this. I'm not, I'm not giving this over to God. And I know later on, Peter writes we need to cast our worries on the Lord, we need to cast our anxieties. On the Lord and for some of us who are prone toward worry and some of us are just temperament, personality, we're prone toward worry and that casting is like a repeated thing. We have to keep casting. I totally get that because we we give our worries and we take them back and we give our worries and we take them back and we give our worries and we take them back. The problem is when I'm handling my worries, I'm not trusting God with it. When my heart is filled with anxiety, I simply don't Trust God. And then he adds in verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Here's the problem with worry is that it's an indication that my heart is set on the wrong things. My obsessions are set on the wrong things. My focus is set on the wrong things. And do not set your heart on all those little things in your life. Even the one that you think is a big thing. Do not put your heart or not put your focus on those things. Because I'm expecting something to come from those things that won't ever come. At least not in any lasting way. It's a condition of my heart. Jesus continues in verse 30. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. There's two problems. When you're worried, you're acting just like unbelievers. You're acting just like you don't know God. Like you've never met Him. You've never been in a relationship with Him. You don't understand who He is and what He's able to do. You're acting like you've never met God. And you're acting like you've forgotten that God is able to give you whatever you need. You're living from a sense of God may hold out on me or God may not be able to. So, God, so Jesus says in verse 31, but seek His kingdom. And these things will be given to you as well. Look, get your eyes on off of all of these little things that you're worried about. Get your eyes out of the day-to-day mundane things that are causing you anxiety and get them on God. Remember who your God is instead of focusing on what your problem is. Remember the God that you claim to serve. Remember the God that you claim to worship. Remember what He is capable of. Worry is an indication that my eyes, my heart, my outlook, my vision is on something less than Him. Worry means that I'm looking at something instead of focusing on someone. I'm looking at this situation instead of focusing on the one who's over that situation. Who's sovereign over that situation? Who rules over that situation? My my eyes have got to come up to meet him instead of looking at what's in front of me. So after all of this argument, after all of these pieces, in verse 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. And Jesus isn't being condescending. See, only time this phrase, little flock, is used in the New Testament He's not being condescending. Jesus has been logical. He's used these metaphors. He said, don't do this, don't do this. And then at the end, he comes back and says, but look, I'm caring for you. Understand, as you're getting worry and anxiety out of your life, I'm your shepherd. I want what's best for you. I'm walking with you. I'm protecting you. I'm taking care of you. Do not be afraid. Do not be consumed with anxiety, little flock. And then this great phrase, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Like if if you would understand all that God's capable of doing in your life, you wouldn't be filled with anxiety about all of these little pieces. If you would understand just how much the God of the universe is for you, How much He desires to give you all the good things of His kingdom. How much He desires to care for you and love you and walk with you and be with you. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's on your side. He's wanting to bring about His glory and your good. So stop worrying. He follows that basically by saying, just just get free of all the earthly stuff. Like if God tells you to sell your possessions and give it to the poor, do it. Don't worry about it. Don't, Don't get so tied down to this world. Live in freedom because you have a God that's capable of all things. He rounds out his argument with this phrase in verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like What, what you're giving your passions, what, what you're giving your mental space, your worries, what you're giving yourself to, that's where your heart is. So get those in the right place. Don't walk through 2017 with these obsessions in all the wrong places that are producing anxiety and worry in you. One of the things I was obsessed with as a kid was baseball cards. And when I'd go to the store and and I could find change in the couch or or under the cushions, or my mom and dad gave me money and sent me to the store and there was change left over, What what I wanted to do with the change is buy baseball cards. Because uh, I I was amazed to find that you can get 36 cards in a pack now because I I didn't get 36 cards in a pack when I was a kid. I got like five. Five or six. I walked uphill in the snow both ways to school every day. (laughs) But um, yeah, like five cards. And those of you in my generation, what else did you get in a baseball card pack, gum. you got gum, didn't you? That's right. Because when you opened the pack, you didn't look at the cards first; you smelled it, right? Because it smelled like gum. It had that gum smell to it. And then you then you take out the gum, and it was paper thin. Remember that? It's about it's a rectangle, paper thin. <clears throat> and now I know gum's not supposed to look like that. I mean, that's. I don't know what that was, but gum's not supposed to look like that. And when, and when you would bite it, it would crumble into like a thousand pieces and run down your shirt and all over the... It's like three years old, right? It had been in there for three years, but they put it on a rack, and seven-year-old boys, that's what they wanted. And so I'd go buy a bubblegum pack of gum. I'd smell it. I'd take out the cards, and I, I don't know what your experience was, but... Um, it, it was never any baseball player I'd ever seen before. It's like I, I didn't even know who they were. It's like, I, does that, is that even a major league baseball team? This is, where did this... But by the time I got home, I was already thinking about the next pack that I was going to buy. Right? And the next person that I hoped would be in there. There was this desire, there was this obsession with three-year-old Gum that lost its flavor in about five seconds, and pieces of paper that a seven-year-old boy was going to lose. But I'd always want more. I'd always want to get some more and buy some more. And that's great when you're a kid. It's great when you're five or seven or ten. But at some point, you, you, you kind of grow up and you realize, it's really not good gum. It's really kind of gross. And and I'm probably going to lose all those cards anyway. Some before I get home. I'm riding my bicycle home. I'm going to lose most of them before I even get home. Why am I so worked up about stale gum and pieces of paper? I think sometimes God looks into our life. And because he loves us, not because he's mocking us, uh, n- n- not because uh, he's trying to make us feel bad, but he looks into our life, and I think sometimes he says, why, why are you expending all of this anxiety on stale gum and pieces of paper you're going to lose anyway? Why is this all this emotional content? Why are you worked up about something that is not going to last and is not going to produce anything in your life? I know some of you are thinking, you know, some of those baseball cards were valuable right? Like if you had a signed Mickey Mantle, you could get some money. Yeah, but you didn't get signed Mickey Mantles and bubblegum packs. I don't know where you got them from, but you didn't open up a bubblegum pack and there's a signed Mickey Mantle. But that's kind of the way we are about our worries. We all individually tend to think, oh, but this is a Mickey Mantle worry right here. Like, this is a big one. I need to worry about it. We all think that ours is the exception. We all think that ours is somehow unique. This is the signed Mickey Mantle of all worries, and I need to worry about it. Do not worry about your life, Jesus said. It's not going to produce anything. It's going to pull your heart away from the things that matter the most. It's going to pull your eyes away from the God that's ruling over that particular situation that you're so worried about. Do not worry about your life. And Jesus is not minimizing what we go through. Jesus is not minimizing the pains that we feel. Jesus is not minimizing the twists and turns and, and sometimes the tragedies of this life. He's not minimizing that. What he's trying to do is maximize the God that's over all of that. He's trying to say, look, the rule of the universe is on your side. Like The, the God who is pleased to give you his kingdom is fighting for you, is walking with you, is caring for you, is loving you, so Put your eyes on Him, not on this very real thing that may be right in front of you. Do not worry about your life. And if you and I are going to become the people that God wants us to become in 2017, experience what God wants for us, achieve what God wants for us in 2017, we have to quit obsessing over stale gum and paper, and get our eyes back on the ruler of the kingdom, trusting Him with our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank You that on this particular issue, Jesus left no room for debate. Jesus did not open the door to some kind of rationalization. Jesus wasn't vague. He just very directly and very logically said, get it out of your life. He wasn't saying that it'll be easy for all of us. For some of us, it's much more difficult than for others. But He loves us. He cares for us. And He he cares about the details of us. Our life. He just doesn't want those details to override our trust in our Heavenly Father. So, as we walk through 2017, help us to be on guard for that. Help us to be on guard for those times that the details and circumstances of my life begin to rise up and get bigger and bigger in my mind so that they cast shadow over the God that I claim to believe in and love and serve but rather let the king of the universe the one who desires to give us the kingdom let God tower over everything in my life I can trust him I can believe in him I can lean on Him. I can call for Him. I can talk to Him. Because He cares for me. I pray it in Jesus' name.